My goal, like I said a couple of weeks ago, is first of all, is to get you to know that if you believe and accept Jesus as your Savior, you are righteous. And it's because it's a gift. It's just a gift. And to make sure that you don't live your life by self-righteousness, your relationship with God is not based upon what you do or what you don't do. And I'd just be perfectly clear. All of us still deal with that a little bit. Thank you. You know, if I'm hesitant and staring, you probably ought to say something. I do that at weddings, you know. I tell them, I said, if I'm staring at you, you know, because everybody's nervous. And I said, you know, we go through the wedding rehearsal. And I'm staring. I say, if I'm staring at you, it's not because I just think you're pretty. You need to be saying something that you forgot. <laughs> so not that you're all just pretty. No, I won't go there. But anyway. <laughs> and then the third reason is uh, I just want us all to fall more in love with Jesus and understand how much he loves us. Amen. Because most people feel that they can achieve right standing with God through their deeds, through doing something. I, I have, you, have you ever been like that in your past? I know you have, so I don't know why. I mean, I remember just, you know, reading a lot of the word one day and just thinking that God is just so more pleased with me that day than he was a day that I didn't read the Bible. He's not. He's not more pleased. He's pleased that you're doing that for the fact that it helps you. But his love never changes. His love never changes for us. And, uh, and there's two kinds of righteousness. We said this a couple of weeks ago. Self-righteousness, which is you trying to do more to get God to accept you more. And then faith righteousness, it's just not something you do, but it's something that you receive. That's faith righteousness. And listen, the law never was intended to bring us into a relationship with our Heavenly Father. There's over 600 laws. A lot of people just think there's 10 laws. But there's over 600. Over 600 laws. And uh, there's so many. In that if you read and study the Old Testament, you'll f- figure them out. A lot of them are in Leviticus. I mean, there's just so many. But this is what the church has done. This is what religious people have done. This is what we've all done. We pick and choose which laws we think are appropriate and that we should live by. We have. We do that. But there's 600 of them, and none of us could keep all 600 of them. You would break them. We have broken them, and we are breaking them. But... uh, And this is why Jesus, the law is good, though. People say, well, what is the law? If it wasn't for the law, you would never have known you were a sinner and that you needed a Savior. And this is why Jesus preached the law to the religious people, the Pharisees and Sadducees in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll see him preaching the law. And he takes the law a step higher. You know, they'll just say, you know, you have heard it is written, thou shalt not commit adultery. I say unto you, if you just look at a woman wrongly, mm -mm, same problem. Same sin. Holy cow. You might as well just put blindfolds on, don't look at women, don't do anything. I mean, he was basically saying to them because they thought they could be righteous by doing certain parts of the law. They didn't keep all the law either. Let's just be perfectly clear. But they would bend the law and try to say, we are the law keepers. And Jesus said, no, you're not. And they thought they were righteous by what part of the law that they kept. 
But this is the problem. If you err or falter in one part of the law, you're guilty of all of it. All of it. So he was preaching the law to them. And then he'd come up to a prostitute of uh, one of the tax collectors, and he wouldn't say anything about the law to them. He didn't say one word to Zacchaeus when he went to his house. And Zacchaeus was a wicked dude. He cheated. He was a tax collector who cheated and got money and was wealthy because of his cheating over other people. And Jesus came to his house, and he not one time said, You sinner, Zacchaeus. Not one time. But what did Zacchaeus do? His life was transformed by the love of God just because love showed up in his house and greed left. Jesus didn't say, you greedy man, you. But what did Zacchaeus do? Lord, if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to give him back, what was it, over half my, my earnings. I'll pay him back over four times. And he was just... Jesus was just sitting there, not saying one thing to condemn him, not saying one thing to make him feel guilty, not saying one thing to make him shameful. But the love of God was manifested, and Zacchaeus just couldn't handle it, and he was transformed by the love of God. I think that's the way God wants to do it today as well, by the way. The more legalistic that we are, the more legalism that we hold on to, the more judgmental we're going to believe about not only ourselves but about other people. And so there's time to, from time to time I look at myself, if I'm just being really judgy about people, I'm probably holding on to some legalistic stuff inside of me. And let me just say this, all of us have more legalism in us than what you think. If, if you sit there and go, oh, I don't have any legalistic thing in uh, I was talking with Danielle, and she was talking, you know, the soccer mom stuff, and, or, and somebody said that there, there were some kids' problems, you know, with another family. And this other parent of this family said, well, my children are perfect. <laughs> I just thought, you're in the twilight zone. There, I know parents think highly of their kids, but there is... That should never come out of your mouth as a parent. My children are perfect. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't want to pop your bubble, but anyway, I digress. I want to say something pastorally. I, I felt like the Lord wanted me to say this. If, there's, if, if you're tending to be a little sleepy, shake yourself right now so you can hear this, all right? Never... Listen to me. Never try to get people to read the Bible, come to church, or do anything right by making them feel guilty, condemned, or shameful. We've all done that as church people. We don't even realize it. You know, when somebody comes in, they haven't been in church for a while. Wow, long time no see. Do you want to fill out a visitor's card? It's funny, but I've heard people say that. And we laugh about that, but what do you think that makes the person feel that's been gone? Mm. I'm going to say it again. Anytime that we are making people feel condemned, guilty, or shameful because of them not doing right, you are in the wrong. You 
are in the wrong. Woo, man, that was good. <laughs> Shake myself. Paul encouraged himself in the Lord. So every once in a while, when you're behind this pulpit, you don't understand, but I have to do the same thing. This is what Jesus said. You say, well, how are we going to get people's lives to be changed? The Bible said, Jesus said, it's my kindness that causes people to repent. In other words, to change the way that they think, not just feel sorry or ask for forgiveness, but it's the kindness of God that causes people to think differently about themselves and about the situation. That's what the church is supposed to do. But boy, I tell you what, we have decades in history of making people feel, if you're not doing this, you know, you're doing this, and, and, and you're going to hell too. That just makes you want to beat the door down. Hallelujah. Jesus said it was his kindness. And I know we all have done that. So as your pastor, let's just do a better job of not doing that. Amen? I just, you know, it's the devil who, he, he likes to cause people to feel guilty. I don't want to side with him ever. I never want to be on his side. Hallelujah. But anyway, all right. Two covenants. There's two covenants, one definitely in the old. And listen, that old covenant even went through all the way to the crucifixion. It was still, even though it says New Testament, it's still old covenant until the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He started bringing in the new covenant, but he, Jesus ministered under the old covenant. And this is why he taught the old covenant to the Pharisees and Sadducees, but he started communicating the new covenant to people who really wanted to hear, to people who were really wanting a change. So two covenants. You're not supposed to live by two covenants. The old one is in the old, the new one is in the new. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 says this, But now he has, who is he? It's Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Oh, aren't you thankful for that? A better covenant, better promises. You know, people say, well, what does that mean? Let me just make it simple. Is a $100 bill better than a $5 bill? The better covenant is better than the old covenant, all right? Let's just put it in layman's terms here. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant. And I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." The reason that God found fault with the old covenant is because the people couldn't keep the laws. They couldn't keep it. And if you think about it, God has always wanted to bless his people. And if you look, this is how you need to read the Old, Co old Testament, I should say. People say, oh, so we shouldn't just read the Old Testament? I, no, no, you should read it. We get knowledge from it. But I'm going to teach you something today, how you should read it with new covenant glasses. 
Does that make sense? For example, Deuteronomy chapter 28 talks about the blessings and about the curses. So this is what Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2 says. We can read this. Let's pull it up. Now it shall come to pass if, they, if you diligently obey the voice of your God to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today that the Lord your God will set you above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And you think, wow, that's good. But you just think, that means I always have to obey. I always have to make sure I'm doing everything right. Does it not? It does. So this is how you read it with new covenant glasses. Are you ready? Now it shall come to pass because Jesus diligently obeyed the voice of the Lord his God to observe carefully all his commandments which he commanded him today that the Lord your God shall set you on high above all nations of the earth and all these blessings blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because Jesus obeyed the voice of the Lord his God. Wow! This is why... In 1 Corinthians, it says all the blessings and all the promises of God are yes and why? Because of Jesus. That's why he's our hero. That's why we worship him. That's why we cling to him. That's why we love him. It's all about him. It's not about if you and I obey every single dot, cross every single T, and keep everything perfect. If you are doing that, then you're going to have to live underneath the law. Good luck with that. But if you understand what Jesus has done for you and me, and when you go to the old covenant and you say, man, if I keep all the law, man, if I keep all, if I observe to do the law, I'm going to be blessed. But Oh, man. But if you sit there and say, Jesus kept it for me. Jesus did it for me. Therefore, I am blessed. I'm blessed. So what was one of the main purposes of the law? Romans 3.20. For the by. The merit of observing the law. No one earns the status of being declared righteous before God. Did you get that? By observing the law, no one, no one. Just for you all who want to know what that means in Greek, it just means that none of us. None of us. No one earns the status of being declared righteous before God. So if you're trying to be a law keeper, you will never be declared righteous. That's a wake-up call. For it is the law that fully exposes and unmasks the reality of sin. That's why we have the law, and that's why we need the law. For all those people out there and say, well, I'm a pretty good person. I don't really need Jesus. I don't really need that Bible stuff. I don't really need all of that because, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I don't kill. I don't do, you know, I don't cheat. I'm a pretty good person. But then you're going to have to live by the law and come under the law. And let me give you 613 to make sure that you're going to live by. Amen. So this is what he says. That the law fully exposes and unmasks the reality of sin. You know, there... There's been a lot of teaching about uh, putting new wine into old wineskins. There's been a lot of teaching under that. But, you know, really, that's basically the teaching of the law. The old, you know, if you have a wineskin, they let it weather and get old and to where it, it expands. 
you know, and while it's doing that. But listen, if you put new wine into old wineskins, you pour that in there, and what's going to happen is the new wine starts to ferment, and what does it do? It causes there to be an expansion, and that old wineskin is going to bust. You can't put, you cannot put new wine into old wineskins. What he's saying is you can't take the grace of the new covenant and mix it with the old covenant because it's not going to work. It's going to bust, and you'll lose it all. What do you have to do? You have to get new wineskins and put in the new wine. Everything has to be new. New goes with new, not new with old. There's no mixture. In Revelation chapter 3, I believe it is, it talks about um, the Laodicean church. They had, uh, they had cool, if you study the culture and the history of that, is the Laodicean church, they had cool pipelines. They had pipelines to bring in uh, Warm water from the, the springs that went under the ground, and they had cold water. And there was a place where it would be mixed. And so he was given this illustration to the Laodicean people. He said this. He said, I wish you would either be hot or cold, not lukewarm. Because if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. I don't know about you. There's been a lot of teaching on it. I've taught on this before. Wrongly. This is what he's saying. He's saying you cannot take the law and mix it with a new covenant of grace because when you do, it's going to become lukewarm. And if you mix those two together, I'll spit it out of my mouth. What? Yeah. Because you think lukewarm has got to be better than cold. If you, you know, people try to relate it to having a relationship with God. I have a problem with that. You know, people say, yeah, you're supposed to be on fire for God. You just got to be on fire for God. Well, wouldn't kind of being halfway or 50 or 75% on fire for God being zero on fire for God? Common sense would say I'd rather my children be a little bit closer to God than not knowing God or living for him at all. Just a thought. But I believe he's talking and explaining the law. He says you can't mix the two. You cannot mix the two. You have to let go of the law. And there's, trust me, I've lived that way most of my life, mixing the two. You know? And to be honest with you, I think a lot of Christians still do that today. We try to keep, and, but we only want to keep some of the laws that we can live by, you know. Only certain ones. But if you, if you study the old covenant, there's 600. I mean, you can't, I've said this before, you can't mix polyester with cotton. It's, it's, it's wrong. It's wrong. You're breaking the law. Abraham married his half-sister. He should have been stoned. Jacob married two wives and he broke the law because those two wives were sisters. That was against the law. You were never supposed to marry two sisters. There's a reason for that. <laughs> but anyway, he shouldn't. But that was, guess what? That was before the law ever came to be. But they were patriarchs of the faith. 
If they were breaking the law, why did God choose them to be the people that we look up to, to be patriarchs of the faith of Almighty God? Because relationship is what God has always wanted. It's all about relationship. It's not about keeping, making your, isn't that the way we want it with our children? Of course, when they're kids, you know, you have to set rules in place. Paul talks about it in Galatians chapter 4. He, he relates the law and, and things we need to know with children. Like, you know, when, you know, your kids are, are growing up, what do you do? Look both ways. I had one of my grandkids when we were at, uh, just a couple of weeks ago when we were at uh, the uh, soccer field, and one of them was beside me, one was in front of me, and he's getting ready to cross. The, it was gravel, you know. I said, make sure you look both ways. There's a reason why you do that. But when your kids are little, they do it because they think if they don't do it, they're going to get in trouble or get a spanking. You know, so I have to do it because I don't want to get in trouble. But this is the thing. When you get up to be an adult, you don't sit there and go, well, I'm not going to get a spanking anymore, so I'm not going to look both ways. Are you hearing me? So we're not saying, I don't want people, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. You know, you go, I'm not under law, so I'm going to live the way that I want. Really? Really? You have to know and have a relationship with God. God always wants what's best for I want what's, I don't want my kid to step out there or my grandkids to step out there and get mowed over by a Mack truck. Let me go back to mixing the law. Mark 7, chapter 13, or chapter 7, verse 13. Do you really think God will honor your traditions passed down to others? Making up these rules and nullifying God's word. And you're doing many things, other things just like that. The Jews were bringing in, the Pharisees and Sadducees were bringing in their tradition of the law. And God said, you're making the power of God of none effect because of the, you're bringing in your traditions of the law. That's what traditions were. It's the law. We all do that today to some degree. We bring in and stuff, especially where you got on fire for God, wherever you came in in the movement of God, wherever you come in. That's usually what we hang on to and think that anything outside of that is not God. You know, back in the 70s when I got filled with spirit and on fire, I mean, I was on fire. You know, this was so popular in the churches in Louisville, at least where I was at. It was the Jewish hop. You know, everything was the Jewish music and Jewish dancing. And yeah, I failed miserably at that. But anyway, uh, I, everybody was doing that, you know. And it was not at the hop, down the hop. No, it was just Jewish hopping, you know, trying to be. You're all looking at me funny. Nobody, nobody. <laughs> Maybe it was a Kentucky thing. I don't know. But it seemed like it was really popular in the churches in, 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 in uh, Louisville. But uh it just seemed like, and then if there was none of that going on, then God didn't move that day. So what did people do? We kept hopping. It's funny how we can hang on to something and think that that's God and that's a movement of God. I 
I tell you what, I just want to follow God no matter what and, and believe that he's here no matter what. Whether somebody hops, whether somebody, you know, we used to, when the gifts were in big, and, and I still believe in the gifts. I believe that was a gift when I stood up there and said what I said. But this is the thing. I believe with all of my heart that the church should be built upon the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing else. I believe in all of that stuff. I mean, if, you know, if somebody wants to hop, that's fine. If somebody wants to give a word, that's fine. But the bottom line is we shouldn't build anything on except for Jesus Christ and him alone. Amen. All right. There's a ditch on both sides. I know that, uh, you know, people are trying to work hard to get to the goodness of God and get the goodness of God to manifest in their life. And there's a ditch on the other side where I know I've seen people who grab a hold of grace they thought they were grabbing a hold of grace and did and thought that I don't have to do anything. I don't have to keep any laws. I it, well, it's the same thing about, you know, when you're an adult, you know you're not going to get spanked. So, you know, of course, when I go to Walmart, do you all ever experience this? People are so trustworthy. I, I mean, they just walk out of the door and they just look and they just zip right across there. <laughs> and I'm, you know, right there and I, I mean, I thought, wow, you're really trusting. I mean. Look both ways. Did you not learn that when you were a kid? But anyway, I digress. But anyway, uh, Paul talks to the Corinthians about this. 1 Corinthians 10, 23, he says, You say, under grace there are no rules, and we're free to do anything we please. He said, not exactly, because not everything promotes growth in others. Your slogan, we're allowed to do anything we choose, may be true. But not everything causes a spiritual advancement of others. Hmm, is that good or what? And it's true. Paul said, hey, I can do anything I want. We can. As believers, you can do everything, anything you want. But it's not a, a matter of doing anything you want. He says in verse 24, uh, so don't always seek what is best for you at the expense of another. Some people... They just feel like, you know, I, I want rules because if I don't, then I, I feel like that I'm, I'm going to break the rules. Well, this is the thing why it's because of relationship. When you have a relationship with God, he's inside of you, and it's not a matter of keeping rules. It's a matter of, you know, I know. I know that what I don't want to do. I mean, I can go out and get drunk right now no matter what. I mean, get plastered drunk, and I can get behind the wheel of a car. And God will allow me. And God will still love me. But is that a good thing to do? That one mistake can ruin your life. It can ruin. And matter of fact, I know people that it has. Especially if somebody gets killed on the other side. Now you are, your life's going to be a mess for a long, long, long time. So it's not a matter of I can do anything. We shouldn't be asking, what can I do? But we should be asking, what should I do? What should I do? I know that um, when you, people start hearing the grace message, some people, not all people, there's people just go in a ditch with that. No rules, no regulations, praise God, God's going to love me no matter what. That is 100% true. But do you want God to love you while... You're looking through prison bars. He'll still love you. He'll still love you no matter what. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this. 
Whether you eat or drink, live your life in a way that glorifies and honors God. Your fruit. So I, I know if people have a revelation of grace because they're bearing good fruit. They're bearing fruit. And people who think they know grace and their life is fruitless or they're, or they're just not being smart by just doing anything and everything because they know that, well, you know, I'm, it's all, I heard a guy say this. I can do whatever. I, it doesn't matter because it's, it's all about grace. I said, you don't have a clue what grace is then. You do not have a clue. Grace is Jesus, by the way. It's him. True grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, to live soberly, righteously. That's in Titus 2.12. That's what true grace teaches you. There's a destination for all of us. We all want the will of God for our lives. It's just that sometimes we try to get there legalistically by doing what's right. And then there's other people that don't want to do anything. But God wants us to get to our destination, whatever that may be for your life. There's destinations for all of us. And um, I know that, you know, I, I don't try to read it and everything, but I try to stay up on what's going on in the religious world, if you want to say that. And, and there's a lot of teaching, a lot of books, a lot of YouTube stuff on stuff like this. It's getting very popular, especially with the younger people, that there's no hell, there's no devil, there's no rapture, and everybody's going to heaven. And, uh, and that's, to be honest with you, that's getting to be a little bit popular. And I listen to some of these guys. And matter of fact, I know a couple of guys who believe that. And when you listen to them, you talk about, I would not want to debate them. I would lose. They are overwhelmingly convincing that those things are true. I mean, just like you look at that and you're sitting there and you're going, Wow, and they'll bring out the word, they'll bring out scriptures, they'll bring out, I mean, just stuff left and right, you know, if you study the Greek word, if you study the Hebrew word, if you study this, you know, they, and you just think, oh, wow. And I was talking to God about this this week, and this is what I got from him. He said, yeah, they are. He said, imagine, Mike, how convincing the devil was when he talked to Eve. To the degree that she heard me audibly speak to her not to eat of the tree. She heard me. Eyeball to eyeball. She knew that I, that's what I wanted. And then Satan comes along and with overwhelmingly convincing her to do that. Because she believed him. She got deceived. She got deceived. So that's just for all of us. None of us are immune to that, by the way, being deceived. We all have, including me. We've all been deceived. Listen, I want to make one more point before this uh, about the law and about something. This is, I really wanted to get to this. I don't know what happened, but here we go. Let me just say this real quick. The disciples, of course, they walked with Jesus for three solid years. They heard and learned not only about grace, they walked with grace. It's Jesus. And yet Peter, in the Last Supper, this is good. You want to hear it? 
Jesus at the Last Supper, uh, he said, one of you gonna, is going to betray me. And they all said, is it I, is it I, is it I? And then they all started talking. And Peter, well, I'll never betray you. I'll die for you. I mean, he was just, he was, it was all about what he could do. Listen to me. It was all about what he could do. He was still having one foot in the law about his relationship with God was based upon what he could do. Where did that take him? Listen to me. Where did it take him? His own strength and his own ability to serve God took him to run away and deny Jesus three times. On the other hand, there's a disciple named John. Matthew called him John. Mark called him John. Luke called him John. But John didn't call himself John. Five times in the book of John, John said, and then the disciple that Jesus loved. What's up with that? Man, is that a little bit like, wow, aren't you special? I mean, and then the disciple that Jesus loved. Listen to me now. Because he had a revelation of how much Jesus loved him, let's see where his destination ended up at. Peter's destination was running from God in shame and guilt and condemnation, which that's what legalism will do for you and the law will do for you every single time. That's where his destination was leading him. But where was the destination of John? At the foot of the cross. The only disciple, by the way, out of 12 that was at the foot of the cross. What drove him there? It wasn't, you know, I just need to be at the cross. I just need to be there because, you know, that's what God wants me. No, I'll tell you what put him there. It was the disciple who knew that Jesus loved him. If you and I, I'm getting ready to close. If you and I are going to get to our destination. We have to be wrapped up in that, dipped in that, overwhelmingly knowing that I'm the one that Jesus loves. When Jesus needed the disciples the most, when he needed them the most, it was not giving out the bread to the 5,000. It was when he was on the cross. He needed them the most, and there was only one that was there. And what put him there? Not because he was legalistic and thought, you know, I should do this. Not because I have to do this. No, it's because Jesus loves me. This I know. And I'm going to follow him no matter what. Because he loves me. The most important time in history was when that was on the cross. And Jesus looks down at John and said, I'm going to put salvation on pause, John. Because there's something really important to me. I want to make sure you take care of my mama. Mom, this is your son. John, this is your mom. The Bible says from that day forward, John took care of Mary. That was vitally important to Jesus. And that came to pass because there was one disciple that knew that God loved him. I'm telling you, we've missed that as a church. We've been about making sure that 
We love God, and that's important. But if that is your major issue, it will not lead you to the destination that God has for you. I'm just teaching. You won't get there by you just thinking, I've got to love him more. If you don't have a revelation that he loves you, honey, there will be a time that we'll be just like Peter. We'll run. We'll run. We may not deny him, but we won't be at the place that he wants us to be. Because we're trying to do in our own strength. But I do know this, that you will always be at the right place at the right time. If you have a revelation that God loves me 24-7, seven days a week. And man, we need to get just like John. I'm the one that Jesus loves. You know, religion says, well, aren't you full of pride? No, I'm full of revelation. I'm full of the love of God. And I'm sorry you don't have that because that's what he wants for all of us. Amen. Let's stand. Hallelujah. Ain't God good? He is so good. And he wants us to have a revelation about the law. He wants us to have a revelation about the grace. He wants to have a revelation about how much you are loved. It says that in 1 John. He loved, we love him because he first loved us. We forget that. Matter of fact, we should even just have that in your foundation. Why do you love God? Because he first loved me. Because he first loved me. That's why I love him. That's why I love church and people. That's why I love everything to do about wanting to, not just because I, I want to I preach and teach and help people, not because, you know, well, this is what I'm called to do. It is what I'm called to do, but the, the bottom line is this. It's because he loves me. Because he loves me. Let me pray for you. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name for every single person here or listening or watching online, Lord, that our eyes would be enlightened to this revelation today, that we're under a new covenant. And we're in Christ, and because of what Jesus has done for us, because of what he's done for us, all of the blessings are yes and amen, and all of the promises are much greater than what they were in the old covenant even. But the most important thing is, Father, you want a relationship with us based upon this foundation, based upon this truth, that we are loved by God. Help us to see that, Father. Help us to get a hold of that, not just this Sunday morning, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. When people are mistreating us, when people are doing wrong, and when all hell breaks loose in our life, we can come back to this place in our life that Jesus loves me. Therefore, what can man do unto me? What can anybody do unto me? Because I am loved by the creator of all things, God himself loves me. Help us to understand that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I believe what the Bible says, that it is better to give than it is to receive. I just have to believe that because, in all honesty, it doesn't really make any sense. Am I the only one who thinks that way? I mean, I mean, does it really make sense to say, hey, it's better to give and to receive? I don't know about you all, but when I write out a check Sunday morning, Monday when they dedu- I just see a deduction Monday in my checking account. 
but I believe the word of God. Things happen that I don't even know about. Deals come to me that I, th- I think, oh, wow, that's a great deal. And the goodness of God just, and this is the other thing. I give not because, listen to me, I give not because, I, oh, I just believe it's going to open up the windows of heaven to me. No, the windows of heaven are open up to you and me right now. I don't give to make anything move on God's part. I'm not trying to get God to bless me by my giving. I know that's not good teaching for some people, and some preachers would definitely disagree with that. I give because I just know that I'm loved by God, and I want to show that he's always going to take care of me. Trust in the Lord with all of my heart. And I know my giving is a blessing to other people, to this church even. I give. You know, I'm a pastor of this church. You give? Absolutely, I give to this church. And I give to ministries outside of this church. I think we should all be givers. I think we should all be generous. It's just a good lifestyle. Forget the religious stuff. Forget that I'm just going to give because I'm going to believe that God will bless me. No, if you do that, that's fine. That's what you believe. I don't... I'm being perfectly honest. I am never, ever going to give in my future because I'm going to believe God to bless me. I'm blessed already. I'm the head and not the tail. Whatever I set my hand to prospers. There is wealth that has been placed on the inside of me that nobody can take it away. My giving is just a a show of a fruit of what I believe has already happened. That's another message for another day. God bless you.